Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive & June. Olive & June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive in June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive in June, too, is it's a quick dry. It dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. As a mom, vegan of 20 years, and entrepreneur, I need a lot of energy, and I turn to Athletic Greens to help me out. Athletic Greens is part of the daily nutrition regimen for thousands of top performers, professional athletes, and health-conscious go-getters worldwide, including USA cycling and endurance athletes, so I knew I would trust them. It's developed from a complex blend of 75 vitamins, minerals, and whole food-sourced ingredients. And it's a comprehensive all-in-one greens powder engineered to fill the nutritional gaps in your diet and support your body's nutritional needs across the four pillars of health, gut health, immune system, energy, and recovery. And these are all things that I'm super interested in. I put a scoop in my smoothie in the morning, and it feels amazing to know that I'm set up to feel my best and sustain my energy all day long. Try for yourself at athleticgreens.com slash yoga. That's athleticgreens.com slash lit yoga and get lit up. Welcome to Friday with Friends. Today I have Rebecca Caro here. She is a master rower, starting rowing when she was at Pembroke College. And she's now coached athletes from age 10 to over 70 years old and really enjoys the challenge of helping anybody understand how a boat moves and ways to make it go faster. She started the Row Perfect Rowing blog in 2007 and wrote most of the articles until 2018. She also started a massive global community Facebook group. And we talk about her work as a master rower and creating this wonderful community and giving visibility to midlife women. We talk about this in particular, how women at a certain age become a little bit less visible and how we can instead feel powerful and empowered through community and sport. Please enjoy my conversation with Rebecca. Welcome, Rebecca. I'm so glad to have you on today. Well, thank you. It's a delight to be here. So I know that you're a master rower and you're an entrepreneur, and we'll get into that, your journey into that. But what I was first struck by when we had our brief conversation prior to this podcast was one of the first things you said, and it just like really like hit me in the chest. And it was um, that women, I don't know exactly the age, but I think you said basically over 50, 45, um, women over 45 will say are invisible. And that just like, oh, I don't know. I, I have the chills saying it now. And I thought, what a powerfully potent, truthful, and also painful statement about our society that 
women are invisible over 45. What have you thought about that? Has that been a huge determinant of where you are now? This idea that you were became less visible as you got older? It's a very interesting question. I actually think it's the other way around. I got to where I am now and then began to realize that this was a really important concept and a lever for societal change. So if you take the us women growing up, if you look in the media, there's a very straightforward narrative that goes something like little girl, teen, you know, with all the kind of teen challenges, gorgeous 20s, 30s, rocking it, having everything, a mom, maybe or maybe not, but, you know, kind of heading up to childbearing age. And then you get past 45 and your childbearing years are ending. And from there through to 70, where the media presents you as a grandmother waiting to die in funeral home adverts, there's nothing. And that gap, which I call midlife, is really potent. And every time I have mentioned this to someone like you, it has the exact same resonant response. Right. It's I think as women, I'm almost 52, and I don't think of myself as older or middle-aged, but there is, uh, yeah, it's painful. I think when you're younger, you don't, you, you, that just seems so far away. But I, you know, I, I have noticed being a physical therapist and working with the young athletes all the way up to the older rehab patients, even in those settings, there is, it is so uh, visceral and and insidious, I think, the, the even the way that not as a physical therapist, I would treat my clients, but the whole relationship dynamic of how who's bringing them in, if they're at the hospital, how people are treating them. There is a treatment of that you are slightly less valuable, you know, that you're less noticeable. There's not the external beauty uh, in the same way. Of course, I, we, you know, we redefine beauty, but the, the definition of our society's beauty is is this young, vibrant, fertile woman. I mean, some of it is probably pretty hardwired from an evolutionary standpoint, but it is kind of frightening to think like, oh my gosh, we're in that age block and we might not be seen because of course, as humans, one of our most basic needs from an emotional standpoint is to be seen, to be heard, to be valued. When did you recognize that in yourself or when you were working with an older woman population? How did that come about? You said it, you didn't really notice it until you were in the stage you are now. So the first signs for me were when I moved country. So I was born in Great Britain and I now live in New Zealand. And uh, we moved here. My husband's job moved here. His family is from here. He's born here. And I could not even get an interview for a job. I was 45 and like I have good qualifications and they... The reasons felt like excuses. Oh, you have no New Zealand experience. Like, yeah, but I actually have pretty good experience in comparable businesses that you might have heard of. And I realized, I began to realize that even though in my heart, I felt I was still 38, you know, I was actually older than that. And that in a workplace setting, I was not wanted. I didn't feel invisible at that stage. But then getting older and I never did get a job 
I'd just like you to know. And I don't feel bad about it now, but it was really frustrating at the time. I came to this realisation through my sport. So my sport is rowing and like most sports, they have um, the opportunity to compete as an older athlete. In rowing, you become a master at 27, so it's kind of young, but um, that's that's the way it is because it's a strength endurance sport. And we then compete in roughly five-year age bands from then on. And each age has an increasing letter of the alphabet. So I've just got to E. <laughs> and let me tell you, it goes up to K. So there are people who are over 80 who are racing. Anyway, what I began to realize was the power of the midlife woman. So rather than complaining about it and noticing the deficiencies in society, I started to look at it from another perspective. And the perspective is this. You have experience, deep lived experience that can inform your judgment. You also have spending power. You know, we live in a capitalist society. Money matters. Many midlife women have disposable income, family money, you know, their own job possibly. And increasingly, as you age, you have fewer financial responsibilities to, for example, your kids. You maybe have had a mortgage, but maybe you've paid it off. Maybe you've shifted your savings into pensions. You know, you aren't typically trying to furnish a house for the first time and spending. And in the UK, and I haven't found comparable figures for New Zealand or America, but I'm, I'm guessing they're probably not far off. Women aged 45 to 70 make 50.3% of all the big ticket spending decisions. They decide what car they're going to buy. They decide what sofa they're going to buy, what TV, you know, the sort of bigger things that we spend. You know, you write a check for quite a large amount of money that over half of those decisions are female-led. So from a capitalist consumer point of view, we're important. Advertising tends to be very orientated toward either much younger or older people. And I've been, this couple of weeks, I've been watching the Olympics. And in the advert breaks, I have just idly been looking at things. Okay, so there's a car advert for a small family car. Okay, so it's mom and dad, and they're clearly in their sort of 30s with kids who are sort of five, seven, and nine. Okay, fine. Then there's another car ad, and it's an older man. Then there is, you know, a houseware ad. There's often a man in it who's aged between 45 and 70. And then I got a retirement village advert. And, yeah, naturally, they're older people. In fact, they had one man and three women in that. But they were all probably over 70. And you just, once you've had it pointed out to you, you just notice it everywhere. Look at the news readers that you see on television, the people who are fronting popular television shows. I'm not saying that they shouldn't have young people, but there is a very clear gap. I mean, look at the people who do the weather reports. They're older men and younger women. And I'm not saying these are necessarily jobs that midlife women want, but I am saying that there is a very clear deficiency and the opportunity must exist for more of us to be visible in more ways. And we can do it collectively. You reached out to me 
when we had our chat, this completely resonated for both of us. And I'm hoping that anyone who's listening to this, just take this to your friends and then just say, and what can we do about it? The short answer is we can amplify each other's efforts. If you have a midlife friend who's looking for a job, you help them. Think of who you know that you could introduce them to, offer to critique their bio, you know, look at their LinkedIn profile, share it on your social media, make women prominent. And we begin, I think, to reverse the tide. Oh, I love that. I I think it's absolutely true that, and that's another thing that we're not necessarily conditioned to do as women. There's like an in zero sum game where you have something and it takes away from me. And some of that is actually in our society. You know, if there's only one woman as an anchor and there's many, you know, many potential women, they're vying for the same job. So it filters down in every uh, way as, as real examples. But if we were more like a team, like we'll talk about with your rowing, yeah, if we came together and really celebrated each other, and like you said, amplified, lifted each other up. And what you said before is what I feel now, which is the experience, the, the lived experience has its own currency. It, and then we should capitalize on that because, you know, whether it's we should charge the amount, you know, there's sometimes women maybe men, but more, more likely women. Uh, I see this with my teacher trainees who've gone through training and, and that like asking for what their value is, is sometimes difficult to do, right? It's difficult at any age, but I say like, if you have put, if you've put years in living and you have experience to offer, that has its own value that you need to take advantage of, right? And that we need to, yes, we should be asking for the same salary as a man if we have the same experience, um, we should be hired over someone who has less experience, not just because of our age, that our experience has its own currency. So I, I love that. I love that idea of elevating women, but especially middle-aged quote, I say that middle-aged women elevating each other, right? Really saying we have so much to offer way beyond the quick look of a superficiality and not that we're bad looking, right? It's just that, but we have so much more. Beauty is much more than just at the eye of the beholder. It's really all the offerings we have. And if we can it be the example that we want for younger women generation of really cheering each other on, I think that is also so pivotal at this time period where there's always room for divisiveness. But if we can um, celebrate each other that and uplift each other. I, I just think that's uh, so important. I think that's why I immediately like fused with you. I see you nodding over there. Did you want to add something? Yeah, I think there's one really key skill that underpins everything you've described and facilitates and enables it. And the skill is collaboration. Women are generally much better at collaboration than men naturally. We naturally help each other out. And we can harness this skill because it's something that comes easier. And in the workplaces where I have worked in conventional jobs, I have genuinely never had a woman actively try to undermine me. And I actually have had men actively try and get me fired. Like one guy tried three times. 
Mm. I believe firmly that actually this is not something we need to work to learn how to do. We actually have all the skills in our toolbox already. We just need to recognize that actually it's not about just about career. It's about you work out what you want, but then you do need to tell people how they could help you on your way. And I personally have found, noticed in myself a reluctance to ask for help. And it's not a sign of weakness. When I have asked for help, the outpouring of support has been heartwarming and so helpful. And even if I haven't achieved the thing that it, you know, that I was, I have something in mind that, you know, didn't happen, it doesn't matter. It was a learning on that life journey. And the thing about midlife is that we're physically healthy. We're mentally healthy most of the time. We can still do a lot of the things that we want to be able to do. We are living longer, healthier. We are probably the first generation who have stayed fit throughout our entire lives. So the human race, when I was born, I think the life expectancy for men and women in the UK was around 71 for men and maybe 75, 76 for women. It's now significantly older for us. You know, we in all likelihood could be living to over 100. Most of us could be living to over 80, over 90. That's an extraordinary opportunity in life while we are still agile and healthy in all aspects to not only give back, but to achieve the things that we seek to achieve. And that is my mission, is to vocalize to anyone listening today, take a step back, look at yourself, look at your friends, male and female, and then look out to the outer world and say, where are we represented in the public world that is on view? And if there is a midlife woman who you see represented, what can you do, even if you don't know her, what can you do to amplify what she's trying to do? And this will slowly bring us to greater prominence, for sure. Oh, I totally agree. So in your work, so you didn't get the job in New Zealand. How did you then decide to do what you're doing now, this path of creating this rowing organization on Facebook and this global community of master rowers? Like, how did you come up with that idea? Or did it just kind of organically happen without that clear intention? It started with a podcast interview. So I've been podcasting since 2013. And my podcast is called Rowing Chat. It is an interview show with athletes and coaches in the sport of rowing. So with many of these social media things, I am super early. I like way too early. And most people are like, oh, what's podcasting? Oh, oh, do you mean videos? It's like, oh, no. So I've been doing this for a long time. And in 2016, I interviewed a woman called Marlene Royal, who's an American who lives in Canada and who, since she graduated from Boston University, has specialized in coaching older athletes. That's been her thing. So she's been doing it for a while. Her business is called Royal Row. She writes individualized programs. Now, my professional background is business-to-business marketing. So I understand digital, I understand social, I understand 
what it's like for people to seek out a community. And Marlene and I had just this rocking chat in our podcast. We were like, I'd never met her. And I was like, you feel you could be friends. And after the show, we, we ended the recording and we carried on chatting. And she came back to me a few weeks later and said, you know, I think we could write an educational program together because my coaching skills are somewhat different than hers and they you know they dovetailed nicely so we wrote a program together and we sold it online via a retailer that um who specializes in in just online products for rowing not not just for masters and it went pretty well and then in 2018 my I ended my relationship with with that retailer it was had been my business and I sold it and in the January after that we had another talk and we said look I think there's a bigger space here. And the bigger space was kind of between her business and mine. So I'd done online retail. I didn't want to do that again. She was doing customized programs. She wanted to carry on that, but taper it because it's very time intensive. And I said, why don't we do an online program that's mass, that's it's online learning month by month. And it's for anyone, but it's specially aimed at masters. And we called it Faster Masters rowing we bought the domain and then by april 2018 we actually launched and it's one of those wonderful kind of scrambles where you're like well we only need to have have like one month's worth of content up there don't we and we're like um maybe we should have two you know a little buffer yeah and the thing that really ramps it up is a Facebook group that I'd started that was called Masters Rowing International. And it's become the linchpin of discussion and connection and sharing around this community. And it doesn't matter if you don't speak English because the basic thing is, hey, welcome, where are you from? Share a photo. And people are like, oh, wow, what a beautiful river or lake. Oh my God, you're in Venice. Or I've always wanted to do that. And I vacationed there. And then people start going, oh, is there anyone who's in this tiny weeny little town in somewhere in upstate Massachusetts because I'm coming there on vacation and someone goes oh yeah and they're like oh can we go rowing together and we were like yeah sure you know and that genuine friendship which is has always been a part of the sport of rowing it's very team-based it's very friendship orientated particularly for older rowers because a lot of people choose to do it not because they want to go race but because they want the fitness the friendships the community And it has just snowballed. It is one of the biggest groups for rowing on the internet. And I'm just so proud of it. Well, that's wonderful. So what what is your job now with it? Do you even have to manage it or is it just kind of self-contained? I don't have to do any management with regards to the postings. Very occasionally there's something slightly inappropriate and the community are very good at flagging it. And when I say very occasionally, it's maybe one thing every two months. So really occasionally. Nice language is part of the culture. But the work I do is to filter people who want to join. You have to answer three questions. And if you don't answer the questions and you're not someone who has been invited by someone who's already in the group, you do not join because we can't risk having bad players who aren't in the sport of rowing because it could ruin everything. So that is massively time consuming. I get sometimes, if I leave it for two days, there'll be a couple of hundred people wanting to join this group. 
So I don't allow automatic people automatically to join. And so for anyone who's running a group or thinking of running a group, the filter questions you put are really important. And I can go into a little bit more detail about how to structure them so they work for you. But pretty much that's the only job I do is welcome people, which is great to like, you're always the friendly first face they see. And then it basically runs itself. I don't have to seed ideas in or content or anything. The group comes up with like stunning stuff that I would never think of. Well, it's so funny because that's like a wonderful place for that. You know, it's where you share, like you said, pictures, which are so inspiring. It's not like, what was your time on this? Or I mean, maybe people do that, but I'm sure it's much more engaging and inspiring and just showing other people where where you, like, because if you're doing the same thing, but showing that it's very, you, you know, it's it's global. Like you could do this at any place. You could do it at, a you know, in Sweden in one of the archipelago, or you can do it, you know, in the Atlantic Ocean, or you can do it in New Zealand. I'm sure there's amazing places there. So it is uh, fascinating. It's almost like running, except that you do need equipment. <laughs> so I guess uh, that would lead me to my next question. Like, what is it about rowing that, I mean, I've read what you've written about it, but I'd like you to share here. What is it about it that once you get the equipment that pretty much anyone can do. And that's what makes it so lovely in terms of aging and in terms of broadening the circle from youth to, you know, these 80-year-olds you're talking about. What is it that's specifically wonderful about rowing? There's a little bit which is all about just being outdoors, fresh air, water. I I think people underestimate the effect that water has, whether it's flat or riffly or has little waves. So there's a big concept of, of being outdoors. You know, even if you're in the heart of a city going down a muddy canal, there are often wildlife and flowers and birds and things. So I think there's a bit of that. The other thing is that a lot of people as they age can't, can no longer do the sport that they loved when they were younger. So contact sports like rugby, uh, American football, you know, gridiron, nah, you're not going to want to be doing that. Or maybe you've been a really dedicated runner, but you get some repetitive injury and you can't run. And I think there's a, a natural switching over for a lot of people into sitting down sports. Cycling and rowing do particularly well. And then there's a sort of third component of people coming out of the years when their children are really young and need a lot of intensive care and you can't leave them on their own, to seeking out some form of exercise that's, it's a little bit of me time, but it's also from a rowing point of view, community. And rowing, you can row in boats with one, two, four, and eight people. I say eight, it's actually nine because you have a steersman as well. And the thing about them is that you're all in it together. They use rowing. There's a particularly good program in Boston, Massachusetts, where they use this as a program for obese kids because when you're doing it and you're all in the boat together, the boat is traveling along and you can't tell if you're faster or slower than the person who's sitting in front or behind you. So there's a great leveling of equality and you realize that you, if you want the boat to go faster, which, you know, particularly I've coached kids, kids are wonderful, but they always say, can we go faster? Um, 
it's only as fast as its slowest member. So it's incumbent on you to work as a team to cheer along people and encourage them and upskill them. And there it builds something of a community that is very different from any other, uh, you know, field hockey, netball, you know, that sort of sports. And as a consequence, people make friends for life through rowing. It happens if you see high schoolers, they're often their best friends. A lot of people come to the sport in university in the USA because of Title IX. Rowing was the chosen female sport, which had expensive equipment to match the investments in gridiron, which meant that an enormous number of programs exist now right across the USA as a result of that. And it, that has been mirrored in, in many other countries for slightly different reasons, like it wasn't triggered by an Equality Act. And a lot of people can do it because if you can sit down on a chair and stand up off a chair, you can row. That is the amount of mobility you need. If you're very, very, very large and very, very inflexible, it is challenging, but you can still do something. And nowadays, there are a lot of different types of rowing boats. So the ones that I typically row in, which is, you can see the picture behind me, is a narrow, skinny thing that's probably around two foot wide um, and very shallow. Nowadays, you can take a stand-up paddleboard or a windsurf board and you can strap a rigger and a seat to it as a temporary thing. And so you can like buy that. It's called ore board and they're made out of Canada. You can buy that and put it on top of some equipment that maybe you already have. And it's very stable. So you could do it, you know, from day one. And as a result, rowing has this aura to it. Not everybody loves it, but a very large number of people want to try it. And so we run regular learn to row, learn to style programs because particularly post-Olympics, people are like going, I want to do that. I want to be like those folks, which is great. It's a great recruiting tool. But more than that, for us midlife people, it keeps us active. It's whole body exercise. You're using your heart and your lungs and your legs and your back and your arms and your hands. And it keeps you fitter than you probably would be because you're sitting down and doing it. Mm, absolutely. I think that's really, that's so important for people to know that that you can do this at any age, even if you haven't done it before. Yes, it's a skill that you have to develop, but you know, it's kind of like riding a bike. You can learn to ride a bike. You know, you can learn to row. And I love the community aspect of it as well. And I love how it's how you were saying it's like almost a leveling field. So that so many kids, you know, growing up, if they were not coordinated or fast or something, they almost labeled themselves and they probably were labeled like not an athlete or not sporty. That's me. That was me. Oh, I tried really, really hard, but ball sports and me, I, you know, I was lacrosse. I was the goalkeeper because I really wasn't that fast at running. I have endurance, but I can't sprint to save myself. And so I played in goal, but I really wasn't a very good, good at ball skills. And so when I found a non-ball sport, it was like, woo. So when did you, when did you come into rowing? Uh, at university. I got recruited when I was 19. So when you say recruited, so you were you were uh, rowing in high school? No. No. So they just recruited you to row and you had never rowed? When you go to 
tertiary education for the first time, there's nearly always some sort of a, a fair where all of the different clubs and societies show up and they oh, join the debating society and join the cycling and join this sport and that sport and join this acting and film and, you know, everything, music. And when I went to university, I, I played the violin and I could sing. I used to sing in a choir and I could play netball, but I wasn't a particularly good, obviously, good netball. And I didn't particularly enjoy it. And so you just go around there and, and this guy, this tiny guy comes up to me and he looks up and he goes, you're tall, you should try rowing. And I'm like, oh, okay. And he turns out he was a coxswain, so the steersman, and he was the captain and uh, of my college. And he said, you see, try it. I went, yeah, all right, try it. And um, I just, I enjoyed the technical challenge of how do you handle this really long oar? So like you have an oar that's nearly four meters long and it's just like, Woo, it's like right over there, you know. How do I I I, I manage this thing? And there, there was lots of finesses of technique that you know engaged my brain. And then you sort of enjoyed the challenge of can we make the boat set level, which is a big challenge when you're first beginning. And you know, and there were the other people in the team seemed fun. And then after a few weeks, we did this race and we were terrible, but it didn't really matter. <laughs> um, you know, we kind of we got we all got little t-shirts, you know, and we kind of enjoyed it. And and then at the end of term, they had this huge, great dinner to celebrate the successes of the people who've been really successful, which wasn't us, you know, and it was like, oh, that was fun. We had a, you know, we had a nice night out as well. And you're like, well, do you want to sign up for next semester? And I was like, yeah, okay. You know, and, and it sort of starts small and I just found I enjoyed it. And so did you continue rowing after university? I took a five-year break when I was first working. Um, and then my then partner said to me, you're getting fat and unfit. And I thought, I'm going to show you. I'm going to join a club. That was the end of him. And this Right. That's not a very nice thing to say, mister. <laughs> but hey, I was going to say, thank goodness, he was good, his, un, his unfiltered words made a couple things clear, like you needed to get moving and he needed to get moving. <laughs> so I'm interested, like for people out there that uh, this sounds amazing, but, you know, first of all, let's just say they live in a city. How do you recommend getting into rowing? They don't have the equipment and can't really think of a place to go where they would find it. I mean, how easy is it to find a rowing club or to get in, get into a water area? So it's super easy to find a rowing club. Every country, there are like 156 countries in the world has a national rowing federation. Uh, it's called usrowing.org in the States. It's Rowing Canada Aviron in uh, Canada. It's British Rowing in Great Britain. It's Rowing New Zealand in New Zealand. It's Rowing Australia. You know, So go find their website. Every one of them has a place on the website that says find a club near where you live. And it will guide you toward a local club. And you can then approach them and see if they do a learn to row. Because the clubs own the equipment. All you have to do is pay your membership dues. Sometimes you have to pay if you want to race. Um, sometimes you have to pay a bit if you want coaching or you can buy a program for people like me. Uh, but go go take some tuition. Don't try and teach yourself. Regrettably, self-taught rowers generally find they have to unlearn a lot of the things they've tried to teach themselves when they actually come to want to row with other people. And there's a lot of benefit in you all doing the same thing at the same time in the same way. And so it take a take a class, uh, a learn to row class is 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 advice number one. There are lots and lots of clubs that are quite small. And once you've got the basics, if you can afford your own equipment, that's great. A lot of people car top their gear to a lake. So there's a, a lovely lady who I followed on um, our Faster Masters podcast for a while. 
she has a toddler and she dropped the toddler off with her mom and the mom would take the toddler walking in the park and she would put her rowboat into the water in the lake in this park. She would just like put on gumboots and just wade out. She said it was a bit slimy on the bottom, but once you're in the boat, it was fine. You know, so long as the water is deep enough, because rowing boats only have a draft that's about this much, which is, you know, probably 12 inches, a little bit more with your fin. It's you can row on aw- awfully shallow water, mm. um, which is cool, because if you if you flip and fall in, it's fine. You can stand up, you know. Yeah. So there are lots and lots of places where you can row. Granted, there are also lots of places where you can't. One of the nice things about rowing is you can do it on lakes and rivers. Some fast flowing rivers are not particularly, you know, good, um, but there are often water reservoirs where people row. So start opening your eyes and, and take a look out. And that's where definitely where you start. Alternately, you can go and join a gym, become a gym rower, definitely take some tuition. And again, gym rowers are super welcome in the Masters Rowing International group. The training that you do is broadly similar. You won't be handling oars, obviously. But apart from that, a lot of what we do is exactly something you can replicate in a rowing machine. And the nice thing about a rowing machine is go have a buddy. Don't don't buy one and keep it at home. It's it's quite soul destroying rowing on your own. I was going to say boring, right? <laughs> soul destroying. I like that. Yeah. So um, yeah. So you know, you you can row in a gym for sure. And then you know, if you want to make the transition to water rowing, you know, give it a go. Sign up for a week's course. You yeah. know what I love about this is you know going back to this middle age. It's you know, when we're in high school and then in university, like they're clubs, like we don't really have clubs, you know, it's like we don't have camp for adult, really. This is, it's a great way of, of going back to that stage of camaraderie. You know, you, again, maybe it's no one, you know, maybe you do it with a friend, but it's to have that club atmosphere of doing something that's a hobby for fun and having a social, I, I think it's wonderful. I mean, it makes me want to go join because I just, I was thinking in my head, I'm, I'm sure there are, I'm sure there are tennis, you know, groups and, but, but this is like a real, it is like more like a high school or a elementary school thing of, of having like after school club with something that you really enjoy doing. And I do think as we get older, we, we don't have those opportunities. You know, we take say yoga classes and there's like community with that, but to do that um, in a very organized, specific way of showing up at at a certain time where everybody is going to get in the boat, I think that's it. Sounds so lovely, and I really love you're really you know, like checking off a lot of boxes because getting out in nature, like how many, you know, we have the world around us, and so many people are sitting inside a majority of the day, and lose that very important. I mean, I talk about this on my podcast, that very important fuel nourishment that we get by being in nature. And like you said, being on the water, it is, it, it just reminds us so much of how we want to be in life fluid and, and just going with the flow. It has all that thematic relevance. So I think it, it just sounds amazing. You've really inspired me, Rebecca, to go out and maybe do this. I will say that most master's groups deliberately organize to do some practice together and then to go to a cafe and have breakfast or coffee afterwards. So when new joiners come to our club, I always say to them, we meet at seven, we'll row to maybe 8.15, 8.30, we wash the boats, we put them away, 
and then leave time to go with us to a cafe and have a coffee and, you know, chat. Because actually the social is as important as the physical exercise. I'm going to correct you on one thing. We're going to talk midlife, not middle age. Oh, midlife. Yes, please. Yes, middle age is more of a term, I think, that, yeah, probably. derogatory. It's, yeah. it's, you know, people are rude to people and they say, oh, she was just a middle-aged old cow or whatever. Yeah. It's midlife and it's a respectful term about the middle of our life between our youth and our old age. Mm, I love that. Yes. So everybody, midlife, not midlife crisis, maybe, but midlife, midlife fun, midlife enjoyment, midlife experience and, and all the wonderful things. So well, thank you so much for joining me today. It was such a pleasure to talk to you and to learn about, you know, your, what you have to offer. Where can people find all your information? We'll have it in the show notes, but just give us a little plug about what it is. That I, I want to know more about this Faster Master. Do you still have this uh, program that people could join online? I do. So it's fastermastersrowing.com or look for my name, Rebecca Caro. There is one other Rebecca Caro in the world and she's a cousin of mine. You'll pretty much figure out from our age, which is which is which. Do look out on Facebook. And if you want to join, it's called Masters Rowing International. We welcome anyone, even if you're not yet a rower, but please answer the questions and say, I'm a beginner and I'm keen to get into the sport. You know, please come join. We'd love to have you. And I'd like to also reference a book which I didn't write, which is about the opportunity that midlife offers and it's called from invisible to invaluable mm. and it's by a woman called jane another called carol so it's carol russell and jane i think her surname in a minute just come out some of it is a bit of a feminist treatise but an awful lot of it is good old-fashioned practical advice i've highlighted a little bit of it and i've obviously translated some of what they say into my personal experience but the fact that I've managed to start a business with someone I have never met who lives on the other side of the world, Marlene Royal, and then found a community of people who are prepared to buy things from us that reflect their life needs really shows that you could be doing this too. Yes. We, at any age, we can um, carve the path that we want, become entrepreneurs, even if it wasn't planned, using the skills like you obviously are using your skills of your background and fusing it with a passion and just a, a, a thirst for doing something to make your stamp in the world. And it sounds like you're really doing that. So congratulations for being this really connector. It sounds like on a global scale. And I really applaud you. Thank you so much for being here today. Sure, thank you. And for all of you who are listening, make sure you check out Rebecca and know that I am pulling for you. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.